You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Third time, you ready for the word? All right, let's dive into it. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can actually open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have your Bible, if you're taking notes, we'll start there. And I just want to give you some context real quick where this kind of came out of. Um, about three weeks ago, most of you did not know this because we waited for church to be over. And uh, I called my family together. Normally, I wouldn't tell you all this, but I'll just be vulnerable this morning. I called my family together and I sat them all down and uh, me and Christina sat here together and we said, let's just be honest with you. We want to let you know we feel overwhelmed. And we went down the line of reasons why we felt overwhelmed. Um, church was one of those things. Work was another thing. Family was another thing. And just as we were able to kind of get it out and voice it out, we were just like, hey, we just want to be honest and be vulnerable. This is where we're at. Uh, and so we were not really sure which path to go. Honestly, if I could make it an analogy, uh, it almost felt like we were driving through fog. We didn't know where the road was going to take us, how we were going to get there. We almost, uh, in the, for example, in the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites a promise. I'm taking you to a land that flows with, do you know? Milk and honey. That's where I'm taking you. But the path to get from point A to point B is very unclear. When God called Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to take you to an amazing land. Just follow me. And Abraham says, okay, great. And God never told him where he was going. (laughs) You just walk. And as you're walking, you'll find that you'll arrive at the place that God wants for you. But you just don't know where the road is going to turn, how you're going to get there. And if you remember the story of the Israelites, it took them a year to get from Egypt to the promised land. It should have taken them roughly 30, 40 days walking, but it took them almost a whole year. And when they finally got there, they couldn't believe that God would really give them something like that. They couldn't believe that God was that good. And because they couldn't believe that God was that good, God said, now all of you go back into the wilderness. None of you will enter into my promise. Your children will get it instead of you. So they go back into the wilderness for 38 years. They wander around. And finally, when the last person dies, God says, good. Now that that generation's gone, all your children will get the promise. Now, it's a a tragic thing, but keep in mind, they couldn't get the promise because they couldn't believe that God was that good. Isn't that sad? Thank you for that thunderous amen. Okay, they couldn't get it because they couldn't believe that God could be that good. I mean, think about it. Everything God has for you, he says, if you'll just dare to believe I can be that good, you'll get it. And so here I was, uh, like I said, about two or three weeks ago. And uh, just sitting here trying to explain my, I just feel like I'm driving through a fog. And the Lord had to literally start me over from point A and say, okay, Matthew, let's figure out how we got here and let's start this path again. Now, normally I would never just share this up front, especially this close to everything, how everything's played out. But again, the Lord just kind of took me from point A and brought me through it and said, now let me show you, this is how you got overwhelmed. But let me show you how to get out of that feeling of being overwhelmed. Now, for me, the answer was this, God, take some things off my plate. Take some things off my plate. I won't feel like I'm overwhelmed anymore. Then I can function. But the beauty of walking with the Lord is this. Many times he doesn't want to take anything off your plate. In fact, the Lord never calls you to do something that you can do. All right. You never see that. When God called David, he was a shepherd. He doesn't know how to be a king. The Lord never calls you to do something that you can do. He always calls you to do something that's greater than anything you could ever do. 
And the reason why is this, because he knows the moment you realize you're overwhelmed, you're sinking and you're drowning. If you'll reach out to him, he will give you the grace to do what he's called you to do. And you have to rely on him. And so I found myself in this position. I'm thinking, Lord, just take it all off my plate. And the Lord is going, I don't want to take anything off because I gave you all this. I want you to rely more on me. Now, can I show you how to how to handle all that? Are you with me? So let's start in first Peter chapter five. Let's start at the beginning. First Peter chapter five. Peter says this, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in when due time. Now, don't worry. Due time is coming. All right. It may not be right now, but that time is coming. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, put this second part in gold, because this, I believe, is the key. Every time God gives you a treasure chest, he always puts the key somewhere around it. All right. He loves to hide truths for his children. All right. Uh, there's a verse in the Old Testament in Proverbs that says this. It is the glory of God to hide something. It's the glory of kings, all of us, to search it out. So whenever you have a treasure, he always puts the key very close. Now watch this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you, he may exalt you in due time. Now, if you exalt yourself, you have to sustain yourself. All right. I will tell you this. I can use uh, my own life as an example. Uh, at my job, it's really easy for me to go and tell on everyone else who does something wrong so that I look better than everyone else. Are you with me? Now, that's me trying to exalt myself. But if I'll stay quiet and let the Lord do it, he will sustain me wherever he puts me. Are you with me? If I continue to fight everyone else at my job, I have to sustain myself. But if I let the Lord sustain me, I'm sorry, if I let the Lord exalt me, he will always sustain me. So trust him that he will do it and he'll do it in due time. Now, how do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand? Not the weak, not the feeble. How do we exalt? How do we uh, so humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? You know how God says it? I tell you, I've heard so many preachers preach this. How do you humble yourselves? You got to cry out to God with tears and you got to fall on your face. You got to humble yourself before God. And yet none of that appears right here. Right? How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? You'd like to know what he thinks? Casting all your on him. Why? Because he cares for you. For can also be the word because. Because he cares for you. Are you with me? How do I submit? How do I humble myself under? How do I humble myself under God's mighty hand, knowing that doing this, God will exalt me when the time comes? You want to know how? Give Him most of my cares. Give Him some. Thank you, Miss Coke. Give Him how many? All. All. Don't just give Him most. Give Him all your cares. Now it's easier said than done. Believe me, I understand that. I completely understand that. But if you will give Him all your cares. He says, great, you have humbled yourself under my strong hand. Now I can lift you up when the time is right. We have to give him all of it. Now, again, it's easier said than done. But aren't you glad that in this church we talk a lot about the love of God? <laughs> all right. The love of God. And the love of God, which is perfect love, removes all what? Fear. When you know that 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 he loves you beyond the shadow of any doubt. It's easy to give all my cares to someone who loves me enough that they'll die for me. It's so much harder to give all my problems to someone who I don't know. But when you know that he loves you, it's easier to give your cares to him. Are you with me? Thank you for that thunderous. Yes, we are with you, Pastor. All right, let's keep going. Now, I want to show you a few stories real quick of how how this all plays out into our life. Are you ready? In fact, let me show you a few stories of people that were overwhelmed. Just I'm going to show you three stories of people that were overwhelmed. But I want to show you how God responds, okay? Watch this. In Exodus chapter 2, the Israelites have gone into bondage. They're slaves to the Egyptians. And about 400 years have passed. 
And then we come to Exodus chapter two, verse 23. Moses is now an adult. He's a man. Okay. And God has sent them to deliver. He sees his people crying out in bondage and he sends the deliverer, but he doesn't send a man. He sends a baby. (laughs) All right. They have to wait for him to mature and become an adult. Now that he's a grown man, he grows up as a prince of Egypt. He leaves Egypt when he's about 40 years old. And now he's in the wilderness. He's left all of God's people in bondage. He doesn't want to deal with anything that's going on in Egypt. And then God comes to him and God says this. It says, now in the process, not happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage and they cried out. Now notice it does not say they cried out to the Lord. It says they did what? They cried out and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. Now notice it went to God, but it never says they cried out to God. Are you with me? Now I'm going to show you God's heart. Look at verse 24. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. Mm. It's like when I hear Parker cry in the other room, I remember he's my son. I mean, there's nothing that I forgot he was my son. I know he's always my son. You get my point, right? But God heard their crying and God remembered his covenant now if it's god god heard their crying and god remembered moses no he didn't remember moses he didn't remember all the things he remembered a covenant that he made and the covenant that god made was one day your descendants abraham will be slaves but i promise you this abraham after this amount of time i will step in send a deliverer and i will bring them out and when god comes in he says it like this he tells moses later on go to pharaoh and tell pharaoh give me back my firstborn son And if you don't, it will cost you your firstborn son. (laughs) Imagine being the hostage in that situation. God says, give me back my firstborn son or else I'm taking your son. Now, that's the word that he tells Moses to go. But again, I want you to see this. God heard their groaning. They didn't even cry out to God. They were in in, in all all points indicate that while they were in Egypt, many of them had turned and started serving the Egyptian idols. So many of them were probably crying out to Egyptian gods, but it didn't matter because God heard them cry and God remembered a covenant that he made with someone else. I am bound by my covenant to bring you out of bondage, whether you cry out to me or not. Are you with me? Now, again, it wasn't that they prayed. It was that they groaned. I heard a great man of God say this one time. and I'll say this a few more times. Even your groan reaches the throne. I hate when preachers rhyme. I hate that. But that one got me. Okay, even your groan reaches the throne. Even when you cry out, before you can cry out to God, God heard it. And let me say this, for us on this side of the cross, even your groan, listen, God will remember the new covenant that he cut with his son, Jesus. I am bound by my covenant to save you. I am bound by my covenant to heal you. I am bound by my covenant to rescue you, no matter how bad it gets. Overwhelmed or not, I'm bound by my covenant. Now watch this. He said, they remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel and acknowledged them. Oh, this, this more I want to show, but I won't. Sake of time. I want to move on. Let me show you this real quick in the story of King Jehoshaphat. All right. Now I'm moving through this pretty, pretty quickly, but I, there's so much I want to share, but I'm trying to stay on point, on target. Okay. Now in the story of the King of Jehoshaphat, let me say this. The King Jehoshaphat, He's a good king. He does everything he's supposed to do. But even though God is pleased with Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat decides if I'm going to be a good king and I want to keep my kingdom safe, I need to ally myself with the king of Israel. Now, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. He says, I need to ally myself with the king of of Israel. So what he does is he, he goes to that king and he marries that king's daughter. I believe it's his daughter, right? Ahab's daughter. He marries Ahab's daughter. Now, keep in mind of all the kings that Israel had, Ahab was probably the worst. You know who Ahab married? 
Jezebel. <laughs> he was a pretty bad guy. And the way Jehoshaphat secures himself is by marrying Ahab's daughter. But in spite of that, God still likes a likes Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is one of God's favorites. Now, he allies himself to Ahab and he comes to Ahab one day and he says, Ahab, as you are, so am I. As your horses are, so are mine. Translation, whatever you go through, we go through with you. We stand with you. In fact, I was listening to um, to Joseph Prince. I think it was his past week. I don't know if it came on this past week, but he actually said this about the story. He said, never say this, say that type of statement about any unbeliever. Never. Never look at a person without Christ and say, as you are, so am I. What you go through, I go through with you. We are in this together. It sounds like a noble thing to say. I'm with you. Let me say this. It's as Jesus is, so are we in this world. When you say that, what you're declaring over yourself is whatever you go through, I'm going through with you. And you'll find yourself in problems you never wanted to be in. Instead, look at that person and say, I'll pray for you. (laughs) I'll pray for you. Let's leave it at that. I'm praying for you. Okay? If you go through this, I'm praying for you. As Jesus is, so am I. I'm not going through that with you. But as Jesus is, so am I in this world. Are you with me? So anyways, he goes to him and he says, whatever you go through, I go through with you. So Ahab comes up with an idea. He says, well, look, there's this place in Ramoth Gilead. There's this place that really belongs to us. And we have been wanting to take it for a while. But now that you're here, we should come together and we should go take it back. So Jehoshaphat says, great, let's go get it. So he says, great. Uh, let's pull all, let's get all our resources, our horses, our armies together, and let's go take back Ramoth Gilead. But before they do, Jehoshaphat says, well, look, is there a prophet that we can inquire of the Lord to make sure that the Lord wants to do this? So he says, yeah, yeah, I have plenty of prophets. So they bring 400 of Ahab's prophets in. Now to do some research, what you find out is the 400 prophets were actually not prophets of the Lord. They were prophets who had turned and started serving other gods. So 400 prophets come before and Ahab is on one throne, Jehoshaphat's on another. And while they're sitting there, all 400 of these prophets come up and say, go and fight. God will give you victory. Go and fight. The Lord is going to give you victory. One of the prophets comes up and says, behold the horns that you will plunder the Amalekites with. Go and fight. The Lord is going to give you this victory. They all come before and Jehoshaphat sitting here looking funny. He says, okay, we heard 400 men tell us to win. Do you still not have one man who is a prophet of the true Lord? Ahab says, well, look, I got one. All right. I got one, but I hate this guy because every time I ask for a prophecy, he never tells me something good. He always prophesies something negative. And he said, and then Jehoshaphat says, don't say something like that. Look, look, just go get him. Let's see what he says. So they go to this guy and the prophet, I think his name is like Micaiah, Micaiah, whatever. Uh, Micaiah comes up and says this. As they're bringing him to the two kings to prophesy what the Lord says, they tell him quietly, look, whatever you say, 400 of us already said, go and fight. Please let your prophecy be like ours. Micaiah stands before them and he says, whatever the Lord tells me to say, I'll say Ahab says, Micaiah, what do you say? Should we go fight? What does the Lord tell you? He says, go fight. You'll win. Come on now. He says, I know you better than this. How many times must I make you swear to tell me what God really says? Micaiah looks at him and probably smiling and says, all right. Thus says the Lord. The Lord had a meeting with all the spirits. (laughs) And the Lord said, someone should go and deceive Ahab to go fight so that he can lose. And all this, and he finished. You can read the rest of the story for yourself. All right. I'm sorry. I get lost in the story. I love this story. He finally ends up telling him. You're going to go fight because God is trying to trick you into fighting. One of the prophets comes and punches him in the face and says, which spirit told me to do that? Micaiah says to him, he says, you'll find out when you're hiding in your cell. All right. Finally, Ahab gets angry and says, go put him back in chains. Go give him the water of affliction, the bread of which is sour bread and sour wine. Go give him that and don't let him out till I come back alive. All right. Go put him back in prison. 
Jehoshaphat watching this whole thing says, well, let's go fight then. What? (laughs) Now, while they're having this discussion, it says this. We come to verse 28. So the king of Israel, Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Even though Jehoshaphat saw that the Lord was against Ahab, he still chose to go with him. Now watch this. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Let me. I know it doesn't take a deep revelation, but let me explain what happened. They're going to fight. They're going to try to kill me. So I'm going to dress like one of the soldiers. You should dress like me. So instead of me, they'll try to kill you. And Jehoshaphat with, I mean, this amount, this massive amount of wisdom says, yes, that's a great idea. I should dress like you and you should dress like a soldier. So when they try to attack us, they'll attack me instead. This is a great idea. What an idiot. So anyways, they go into battle and let's pick up in verse 30. It says, now the king of Syria had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him saying, fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. What an awesome plan. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it's the king of Israel. Therefore, they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him. The word help right here in the Hebrew is the word azar which the word azar is the word for help, protect. Uh, um, literally, it's the word to help. But he protected him in the sense, what did he need? He needed God to do something. So God helped him, azar. And God diverted them from him. Now, whose fault is it that Jehoshaphat was the one they were surrounding? His own fault. And when he cried out, God didn't say, well, you you put yourself in this situation, you're on your own. What did God say? As soon as he cried out, God said, let me turn the armies that are coming to you. When you feel overwhelmed, who do you cry out to? Who do you cry? You know, I was listening to another great man in God and he said this, can we give God the honor and the credit of going to him first? He said, I know many of us have close friends, close, and we go to them when something happens, we call them first. And then they have to tell us, go call God. He said, can you call God first? Can we give him the honor and the credit to call him first? Let's tell him first what's going on. And I'm telling you, for me, again, two or three weeks ago, I was feeling overwhelmed. And it was even until this last week, I was still feeling like, God, I'm drowning. And when I saw this, the Lord took me back to this story. He said, notice, Jehoshaphat did what? What did he do? He cried out. He cried out. And the Lord helped him and God diverted them from him. Now watch this. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. If you follow the very next verse, Ahab hiding like a soldier with armor on. It says all of a sudden a random soldier shot an arrow at random. Wasn't even aiming at him. He just shot an arrow into the air. And the arrow went through the links of his armor. How in the world? (laughs) And it stabs him and he says, quick, get me off the battlefield. They pull him off. And later that evening he dies. Just like the Lord had told the prophet who they put in prison. Now my point is this. There are some people around you who are trying to protect themselves. Let me say this. When God is for you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how stupid you are. Amen. (laughs) It doesn't matter how bad of the situation you've put yourself in. When the favor of God is on you, no matter how bad it is, all right, he can cause everything coming against you to turn around and go away. And the ones who think, who don't have the Lord, who aren't trusting him, the ones who think they've done everything to protect themselves. Let me say this. In Proverbs, there's a proverb that Solomon says this. The rich take their wealth and they build a house, they build a wall around them and they think it will protect them. But little do they know that it will be scaled very soon. Let me say this. There are people in my life and I'm sure in your life that think they've done enough to save themselves, to protect themselves. But when they are not in the favor of God, let me say this. There's nothing they can do to protect themselves. 
when a man can shoot an arrow at random and God can cause that arrow to go between the links in his armor, no one is safe. <laughs> the only ones safe are those who trust in the Lord. Are you with me? Anyways, let me show you one more story. Let me show you a story with Jesus. Jesus is just preaching an uh, amazing sermon. We were at that place where he preached it. I keep talking about Israel. We were at that place. He preaches an amazing sermon and he's in a boat and he says, all right, guys, let's go across to the other side. So he goes into the boat and he falls asleep. And the Bible says literally he was laying on a pillow. What an interesting fact. Jesus is 100% God. He's also 100% man. Are you with me? So anyways, it says in a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, let me say this. I don't know what kind of boat they were in, but I can guess. All right. These were fishermen. They had fishing boats. Jesus is laying down in the boat. But let me say this. The storm was so bad that the water is now not coming into the boat. It's filling the boat. And these men who were professional fishermen are terrified out of their minds. They're looking around at each other going, we're literally about to die. And when they're running around trying to figure out how we're going to get out the storm, Jesus is over there. Even though the boat's doing all this, Jesus is knocked out, (laughs) passed out, right? Sleep. Now, while he's sleeping, it says, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. I love that detail. Thank you, Mark. And they awoke him. Pause. What woke Jesus up? Not the storm. Not the problem. Oh, man, I heard a great man of God say this years ago. I'm just stealing all the, all the sermons I've heard from years, right? <laughs> Let me say this. What moves him is not how big the problem is. Amen. What moves him is when you go to him. Amen. Are you with me? They awoke him. The storm never would have woke him up. It was the cries of the ones that he loves. When you know that God loves you, let me say this. Every time you speak, God hears you. Even when you cry out, not even to him, when you groan inside, that's a problem. He hears it. He hears it. And they, and he, they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm jumping up and going, how could you say something like that? All that, and while the boat's going, all that I've done for all of you. And you know, I just fed 5,000 and the waves still filling the boat. I would have had a speech prepared. <laughs> He arose. And what did he do? He didn't rebuke them. He rebuked the problem. Come on. This is so opposite of what I was taught as a kid. Oh, my God. You know, if you don't have faith, you know, God's got all this. And then they would preach messages and sermons of how you don't have enough faith and why God won't move. And God's not moving because of you. And you're not doing enough. I just I felt so disqualified my whole life. And when I finally really, really felt like I really need the Lord at this point in my life, I didn't go to him and say, Lord, help me. I went to the Lord and said, I know I shouldn't have done this. I know I shouldn't. Have. And I had a whole list of things I could remember. And God, this is what, but in spite of that, if you love me, please do this. No one told me that when he would move, he wouldn't rebuke me. Instead, he would rebuke the problem. No one told me that. A good friend of mine who I talk with, I talk about grace all the time with this guy. I love this guy. Awesome friend of mine. The other day we were on the phone, he said, brother, please don't rebuke me. And I'm like, we have had this conversation. We have had this conversation. Isaiah 50, was it 54? God says, so now I swear to you, I swear to you that I will never be angry with you, nor will I ever rebuke you, ever. And don't forget, Isaiah 54 comes after Isaiah 53, because 54 comes after. There you go. And what happens in Isaiah 53? We see the servant that would come and that would die for all of us. And God made him pay for a, made him pay for something that he wouldn't need, that he didn't owe. God made his son pay a debt that he didn't owe so that all of us could stand on Isaiah 54 and say, God has sworn he'll never be angry with me ever again. Well, Matthew, this is the fifth time you've gone through this. You're absolutely right. But I know that God has sworn to me. He will never be angry with me again. 
nor will he ever rebuke me. Then he goes on to say, the mountain shall be removed and the hill shall be shaken, says the Lord. But my covenant of peace will never be taken away from you. This is the Lord who does not have to swear. And yet when he does, he does it because he wants you to know. Are you with me? Yes. Oh, man. Anyways, where are we? So he said to, so uh, he, here we go. 39. <laughs> Says then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He goes on to teach them a lesson about faith. Let me say this: It's okay to be a little bit afraid. It's okay. But listen, don't let your fear stop you. Don't let fear stop you from moving forward. What removes all fear? Knowing that Jesus loves you. They had that lesson to learn. We are still learning that. And we'll be learning it into eternity, how much God really loves us. Paul said to know that which is really unknowable. In fact, let me let me show you this. In John chapter 11, actually, can I fast forward real quick? Look at this in 1 John chapter 5. The apostle, Paul, the apostle John says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. We're going back to last Sunday, right? This is the confidence that we have in Christ. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now for years, again, this is one of those amazing verses. It must be according to God's will. God didn't give it to you because it's not his will. Well, is it God's will for me to be healed? If God did, if it's not according to his will, God won't give it. And then we start telling people who are sick, people who are dying and people who are overwhelmed. The reason why God hasn't moved is because it's not his will. It's his will for you to go through it. You see how sick and twisted religion, you get my point. But let me ask you, what is God's will? You know, when they came to Jesus, they said, Jesus, tell us what we can do so that we will always be doing what God wants us to do. And you know what Jesus told them? This is the will of God, that you would believe on the one whom God has sent. Now that we have done that part, what is God's will on this side of the cross? You know what God's will is for all of us on this side of the cross? Can I just go ahead and give you the answer? Are you ready? God's will is that you would receive everything Jesus paid for. Period. That's it. God's will is that you would receive everything Jesus paid for. Let me ask you, did Jesus pay for your healing? Did Jesus pay for your wholeness? Then is it according to God's will to ask for that? Watch this. Anything you ask according to his will, he hears you. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. (laughs) Stand on it. Because you know what? He starts off by saying, this is the confidence. Whatever you're asking God for, whatever you're asking God for, if it comes through the cross, whatever came through the cross is God's will. It's God's will. Well, Matthew, I need, I need, uh, I need, I need more finances in this area. Hey, I do too, but you know what? It's God's will that I should be wealthy. Because he who was rich became poor for our sakes. Not just mine, your sake as well. So that we through his poverty might become wealthy with his wealth. Are you with me? Is God's will is everything that came through the cross that you would get it. That's why we don't have to be afraid. Well, Lord, please, you can drop the please. It's your father. <laughs> you can drop the please. I made a joke a while back on Father's Day, I think it was. Imagine Parker coming in in front of everyone in the church and going, hey, daddy, can I please stay in the house tonight? All of you would go, what in the world is going on in the Edwards house? And some of you might call child services. <laughs> Of which we would ask you never to return. But the point I'm trying to make is this. You don't come to your, please can I do this? Please can I have that? He loves you more than you'll ever possibly know. So let's drop the please and let's come to him and say, hey, I know that it's your will for me to be whole. I'd like to receive that now. (laughs) In the name of Jesus. And everyone said. Oh man. Can I show you one more story? What time is it? We need to get a clock in here. 
John chapter 11. Let me show you another story and then I'm going to show you um, a story about David. And I'm going to bring you to where the Lord gave me my answer, which is what I'm really excited about. John chapter 11. Let's look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Now, I shared this years ago. I was preparing for my first funeral um, and I thought, Lord, give me something that I've never received before. I don't want to have this traditional message. Give me something fresh. And the Lord took me back to the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And the first one I saw, it, I said, hold on, Lord, we can't have a resurrection. <laughs> they didn't ask me for that. <laughs> But he took me back to the story and he gave me this revelation about Jesus that I'd never seen before. No one ever shared this with me. This was fresh for me. Now, I'm not going to share that, but John chapter 11 has a special place in my heart because of that, that moment I had with the Lord. Now, in John chapter 11, verse 32, it says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, keep in mind, Lazarus was sick and they said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is getting worse. They sent word. Jesus, Lazarus is getting worse. The one that you love is getting worse. Jesus didn't move. Finally, Lazarus dies. He waits four more days. On the fourth day, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, Martha comes to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He gives her this powerful revelation. Now, let me be honest. When I'm going through a problem, I don't want someone to preach to me. I don't, I don't need a preacher. Right? He comes, and Martha, I am the resurrection. She says, yes, I know that the resurrection will happen in the end of time. He goes, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. He will come back to life. Again, I don't need a sermon. She goes on. He says, go find Mary. So she goes to find Mary, her sister, and she comes into the house. And with everyone crying around Mary, she says, Mary, he's here. So Mary runs out, and when she sees Jesus, she falls at his feet. Every time we see this Mary, she's always at his feet. She's always on her knee at his feet beautiful. So she comes, she falls at his feet and she says the same exact thing her sister just said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In the Greek, the same exact phrase, the same exact words. Everything was the same. Now, what should Jesus say to her? The same thing he said to her sister. Let me preach to you too. I am the resurrection. But that's not what Jesus does. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, watch this. One of them lives at his feet. The other is always trying to serve Jesus. Someone is saying, I want to receive from him. Every time he's around, give me more, give me more. The other one always sees Jesus trying to give to him. The one who always receives from him, she gets Jesus' heart. The one who's always trying to serve him, she gets the sermon. <laughs> Are you with me? Now, let me say this. The one who always is trying to take from him, she gets his heart. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, when I saw this years ago, I thought Jesus cried. He groaned in the spirit. He cried out. And if you ask most preachers, well, Jesus was crying. He was groaning in the spirit. And they might make a noise or two. I won't do that this morning. But they might go along that lines. I submit to you, Jesus wasn't crying yet. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. That means whatever happened inside him, God heard it. Are you with me? The problem was so tremendous. And let me say this. Jesus wasn't upset because, oh, my God, Lazarus is dead. What are we going to do? He waited four days on purpose. He even told them, I know what I'm going to do. He's not really dead. He's actually sleeping. They said, well, if he's sleeping, wake up. We don't need to go. Jesus said, look, he's dead. Right? I was talking by faith. He's dead. But we'll go and we'll wake him up. Okay. And they said, oh, 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 he's talking by faith again. Are you with me? He knew what he was going to do. But when he saw how it affected Mary, it affected him. 
You don't have a savior who is so far removed from our problems. He goes, why are you angry about this? Why are you upset about this? The Bible says we have a high priest that knows exactly what you're going through. And because he knows exactly what you're going through, he knows exactly what it feels like. He can get down on the ground with you. And what makes you cry makes him cry as well. Oh, man. What makes you angry makes him angry as well. It says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So whatever his crying wasn't just like, oh, he shed a few tears. He was crying so bad. They all said, my God, he must love that. He must love Lazarus. So we come to where we are. Verse 36, verse 37. And some of them said, could not this man talking about Jesus who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. The first one was because he saw Mary. The second one, how dare they challenge what I can and cannot do. Oh, man. Then we come to verse 38. Um, it was a cave and a stone laid against it. When I saw this, I never saw this before. When Jesus died, do you know, we, we were there at um, at the tomb, the tomb where Jesus was buried. It was also a cave with a stone that laid across it. This is the only other time we see Jesus standing at a cave where a stone will lay across it. I submit to you what Jesus probably saw was one day I will be on the other side of this as well. <laughs> Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory? I'm sorry, see the glory of God. Translation, you are the one always serving me. I preached a sermon to you. Now you have no faith. Did I not just preach to you? <laughs> Let's just be on the side of saying God loves me. All right. Can you say, say, Jesus, you love me. And just keep telling yourself that throughout the day. So we come to 41. It says, then they took the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. When did Jesus pray? He didn't. You never see him pray. What did God hear? He heard him groaning. I'm telling you, even before you offer up the prayer, oh, Father, this is bothering, even before God heard it and God started to move. When the, when the Israelites were in bondage, they never prayed to God. They just cried out. God heard it. God moved. God remembered his covenant. He sent his son. Are you with me? Right here, the Lord, God heard his son groaning inside himself. And God said, I heard it. Whatever happens next is <laughs> coming from me. I'm telling you, even when it bothered you, the Lord saw it and the Lord heard it. Before I can give you the answer to how to conquer this feeling of being overwhelmed, before I can give you that, you have to start here. God heard it. The Lord heard it. Your heavenly father heard it and he knows what it feels like. Now we know the rest of the story. I won't go through the rest of it. He says, I thank you that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. He goes on to say this, Lazarus, come forth. And after that, Lazarus comes out of the tomb, uh, Literally comes outbound, head to foot, still in the garments. But when Jesus would come out later on, no one moved the tomb, no one moved the stone for him. He moves the stone. And not just that, he comes out not bound, he folds the garments, leaves them in the place, and walks out on his own. He brought Lazarus out in style, so he had to come out better. Are you with me? Now let me close with this. Let me show you a story in First Samuel chapter 30. I'll close with this story, okay? First Samuel chapter 30. Now let me tell you what happened. David is a man after God's own heart. When God called David, in fact, let's back up for one second before we show you the story of David. When God called the first king of Israel, who was he? Saul. When God called Saul, what was Saul doing? When the prophet found him, what was he doing? No, no, he was chasing something. He was chasing donkeys. Are you with me? He was chasing donkeys. What will you be doing when God finds you? <laughs> when the time comes with the call of God on your life, right? So he calls him and he's chasing donkeys. When God calls David, compare, when God calls David, what is David doing? He's in the field being a shepherd. 
watching over. Saul's chasing something. David's watching over something. Throughout Saul's ministry, when Saul, when it came time to anoint Saul as king, the Bible says that the prophet opened a vial and poured the vial over him of oil. In the book of Revelation, the vial always speaks of God's judgment. When God pours out judgment on the world in the end, it says that the vials were open and judgment fell on the earth. It's not good. But when God anoints David, when the prophet anointed David as king, he takes the horn and the oil falls on him. Are you with me? So what do you see? The vial speaks of God's anger and wrath, but the horn speaks of the authority and the power and the grace of God that will fall on all of us. Are you with me? So anyways, Saul is the first king and God is angry with Saul. Now, Saul knows that David has been ordained and anointed as king and he's angry. He wants to kill David. So David goes on the run. And the Bible says while he's on the run, he goes to the caves and he starts hiding. But while David is hiding, all of a sudden, all the men who are in debt, all the men who are broken, all the men who are depressed, all the men who are having marital problems, all the men who are having parental problems, all, right, all the men who have issues are drawn to David. Now, let me say this. Birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> David had an issue. All the people who have issues run to David. Now, if I'm David, I'm going, Lord, don't give me the broken people. Give me some people. <laughs> You call me to be king. I don't want broken people. Send me people who are whole so they can help me be whole and we can figure this thing out together. But do you know that when Saul was king, the Bible says every time Saul saw a man who was strong or tall or good looking, he would bring them into his military. When God built David's military up, he found everyone who was broken and bruised and beaten, everyone who was depressed. And God brought them to David. Now, it's not what it looks like. It's always what the Lord can do with it. So God brings these people in. He has about 400 mighty men. They go on to be legendary, legendary. In fact, one time after David killed Goliath, they were in a fight. And the Bible says that David was fighting and he was fighting and, he, and the fight went on so long. Finally, David just gets tired and he's, he's, he's worn out and he looks up and all of a sudden the brother of Goliath runs onto the runs at David, getting ready to slay him. One of those depressed men runs in front of David, picks up a sword and kills Goliath for him. Then he turns around. They have a meeting without David and they conclude no longer should David be allowed to go into battle with them. And they say it like this, lest the light of Israel be snuffed out. What's the point? David, we don't want anything bad to happen to you. From now on, we will fight for you. They committed themselves to David. Oh man, beautiful stories. I mean, David's a giant killer. They become giant killers. As the head goes, so go the rest of the people. As Jesus goes, so go the rest of Center Church. And everyone said, thank you. So anyways, David is having this amazing time. But anyways, at this point in the story, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he's hiding from Saul. And what he does is he and his men, they go and they live behind enemy lines, pretending like they're fighting Israel. So they go out and they're fighting the Philistines. And like I told you last week, and I'll close with this story. Like I told you last week, many times if you're doing something that you know is God's will, is it God's will for you to be sick? Then you don't have to ask. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my healing. Well, you didn't ask the Lord. I don't have to. It's God's will. Thank you for my healing. I have confidence. Thank you, Father, for this financial prosperity. I'm going to say it ahead of time. Well, you didn't ask the Lord. I don't have to. It's God's will. Are you with me? Now, knowing that David is going out and he's fighting the Philistines, he's doing what the Lord wants. He's doing what God wants. And for me, I could relate because I felt like, Lord, I'm doing everything you want. You promoted me at work. Yes, you created a position that never existed. The favor of God is resting on me at my job. I mean that with everything in me. It's resting on me at my job. On top of that, um, well, I won't go on about work, but you get my point. Uh, at home life, everything is good. Me and my wife, we're, we're, marriage is good. Or my son is amazing. I mean, he's becoming a shark in the water. You know, all these things are good. Nothing is bad. There are a few areas we need help on. But hey, look, God is good. I can't complain. And in church, church has been amazing. I mean, I go home and listen to the sermons and I'm like, I didn't write that down. Whoa, where did that come from? You know, 
everything across the board is good. But if I'm honest, I started stepping back and going, Lord, I'm kind of running out of time. I'm running out of this. I don't have enough time for Parker. I don't have enough time for church. I don't have enough time at work. Work is taking too much of this and, and church is taking and, and Parker's missing out. And, and I just felt like I feel overwhelmed. Now, long before the enemy can touch you, he has to convince you of something first. Long before he can touch anything in your life, he has to win the battle up here. If he can win up here, he can do anything he wants out here. Are you with me? Thank you for that thunder statement. Everyone's like, oh, say amen to that, Matthew. (laughs) Long before he can touch you, he has to convince you up here. So what happens is this. David is on the battle. He's doing what God wants him to do. Watch this. First Samuel chapter 30. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. And Ziklag is where they lived. It's their home village. It's where they would leave their wives and their children and all their livestock and all their gold and all their silver. Everything that they've won. Everything that God has given them through battle. All the things that they've earned. All right. They leave it in Ziklag. They go and they fight and they come home to their wives. They go out, they fight, they come home to their wives. It says, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, burned it with fire. They came home, their houses were burnt down. And verse 2, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Imagine coming home and your children are gone. Imagine it. I found out like a year or two ago that Charlotte is the number one. I'm not trying to put fear in your hearts. Please don't take this the wrong way. You are protected. And the Lord will keep you and your families at the right place at the right time. All right. None of our children will be lost. And everyone said. Amen. All right. Charlotte is actually the number one on the East Coast for human trafficking. I never knew that. Second behind it, I think, is uh, Myrtle Beach. Never knew it. Been going there my whole life. Had no clue. I, but again, at the end of every service, what do we say? The Lord keep you and your family is always at the right place at the right time. Amen. All right. They came home and found out their wives, their children, everything was lost. You want to talk about feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> you want to talk about like, verse three. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burnt with fire and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Then you come to verse 5. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now hold on. Before we get to the part I put in gold, look at this. The ones who committed themselves to David, the ones who had slayed giants like David, the ones who said, hey, David, we were broken, depressed and in debt. But when we found you, God's favor rested on us. We committed our lives to serving you. Now they're all meeting again a second time. Let's kill David. Our wives would not have been taken captive if we had not followed him into battle. All this would never have happened to us if we had not followed him into battle. All of this would never have happened if we hadn't believed that we were doing what God called us. Because if God was really for us, this never would have happened, right? Come on, am I the only one that's ever thought that? <laughs> Lord, if I was really doing what you called me to do, this never would have happened. Now, for me, again, I felt overwhelmed by everything that was going on in my life. And I had to have that same conversation inside. Lord, if I was doing what you called me to do, I would have had time for this. I would have had time for that. This never would have fallen apart in my hands. And David's having that same conversation. But the Bible says while they're doing this, David strengthens himself in the Lord. Now, what did he do? You know what he did? You like to know the secret, what he did? This took some studying. But when the Lord is guiding your studies, you'll find that it doesn't take as long to find the answers. When I found this, all of a sudden, someone opened Psalm 27. I'm going to read this. We're not going to study this whole thing. Read it for yourself. But I'm going to read this down. And I want you to keep in mind, David has people behind him saying, we're about to kill you because we have lost everything now. 
while they're coming to him to kill him, David does this. He starts singing, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Watch this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Now, I believe this part was for them. Wait on the Lord. After he said all that, he's he's good now. Wait on the Lord. (laughs) Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. He starts singing, God, you've always been there. God, you've all, you've never failed. God, you've always done this. God, I will sing in your house. God, I'll make it back to your temple. God, I'll make it back to your presence. I don't care if everyone else around me is betraying me. It was always you and it'll always be you. He just starts singing to himself, Lord, and let me remind you of who you are to me. Let me remind you how great you've been. And then, oh, my favorite right here, my favorite, this one. Verse 13, I would have lost heart. I had already lost heart. I lost everything. But now he's done so much to build himself up with everyone else around him looking at him going, what is he? Is he singing? All of a sudden he says out loud, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness. You know what the word goodness is in the Greek? I'm sorry, in the Hebrew? Haset. You know what haset in the Hebrew is? Grace. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the grace of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see God's favor. I will see God's goodness. Matthew, you just lost everything. You're right, but I believe that I will still see God's goodness on this side of life. I will not die to see God. I will see God's goodness here. Let me close with this. Finally, they all put their stones down and say, all right, David will follow you. (laughs) He says, thank you. So he says, quick, go bring the priest, not a high priest. He says, go bring the priest who has the ephod with the breastplate, the urim and the tumim. We talked about a couple weeks ago. And he says, quick, Lord, should we go and pursue them? And the Lord says, yes, on the, on the, on the, uh, on the linen ephod with the breastplate, the urim and the tumim. Yes, go and pursue. So they're on the way to pursue. And all of a sudden, an Egyptian, a Gentile runs and falls and says, I was serving the Amalekites. This is where they are. This is how you'll win. And he says, look, you swear your life on it? I swear my life. This is how you win. So they take the Egyptian, they put him in chains and they go pursue the Amalekites for everything and when they pursue the Bible says they fight from that night all the way to the next evening and they win but they don't just win verse 17 then David attacked from twilight until the evening of the next day not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled so David recovered most (laughs) David recovered all 
that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and the herds that had driven before, uh, that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. It was such a crazy victory. He turned around and said, yeah, this one's mine, guys. You owe me. This one's mine. I'll take credit for this one. And the Lord wasn't angry. He let him take credit for it. Aren't, oh man. I'm telling you, when I, when I, when I saw this, it was like the Lord was reminding me, go back and sing to me again. Go back and sing to me again. Go back and tell me how much I've done for you. Go back and remind yourself. How do you strengthen yourself? So you can go find someone else and they can talk to you and they can give you the best you can. But for me, I felt overwhelmed. I mean, stressed. Stressed, yeah. But it was really the best way I could explain it. I was drowning in water. I felt like I was in the ocean and there's no boats around. Oh, God. Save me, Jesus. And the Lord is sitting there going, build yourself up. Remind yourself. Strengthen yourself in me. And again, it was one of those things. It's like, Lord, take this off the table. He will rebuke the wind. He'll rebuke the storm. Yes. He'll send the deliverer like Moses. Yes. He'll like Jehoshaphat. When you cry out to the Lord, he'll turn everything around away from you. But at some point, we just have to be honest with the Lord and say, you know what? I'm not going to come to you by faith and say, all all is well. Peace, shalom. It is well with my soul. No, I'm angry. I am upset. I am overwhelmed. I have no answers. I'm doing the best I can to be the best husband I can be, to be the best father I can be, to be the best pastor I can be. And I am failing because I'm losing everything. What am I supposed to do? And the Lord said, but you were, you were trusting in yourself the whole time. When did you stop singing to me? When did you stop praying? When did you stop coming to me for what, what happened? And I'm like, you're absolutely right. And you know what happened? He didn't take one thing off my plate. He didn't take one thing. He didn't remove, he didn't let, let me get fired from work. Now work's gone. No, <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't say, Hey, no one's coming back to church. You're good. You're here. Thank you. Right? He didn't do that. Christina didn't file for divorce. <laughs> Marriage is no. He didn't do that. You know what he did? Work. They just promoted me even more. More responsibility. This is the opposite of what I need. But you know what I found? True story. And I'm not lying to you. True story. I started singing to the Lord again. I would go to work and just start singing to the Lord. God's my witness. I would start playing worship music again. And I always play worship music, but now I was intentional. I start singing to God. And don't just pick any good song. No, pick songs that talk about how much God loves you. Pick songs like that. And I just started singing, you love me. Oh, how he loves us. And I would just be by myself and just start singing to the Lord. And I found that at work, I would... I wouldn't be pulled in every direction. I was still being pulled, but it wasn't the same. It was like I could handle everything. And when I got home, I still had the strength to be a father. I still had the grace to be a husband. I found when it came time to study, it didn't take as long to find the truth to bring to everyone else. Many times it's not having something to bring. It's going, God, which one do I bring? And the Lord says, this is the one. And again, I found that everything became smooth. Like David said, make all my paths smooth. I'm telling you, just start reminding the Lord how much he loves. Don't be afraid to cry out. In the church, after the Word of Faith movement, we were all afraid to say that we're upset. We're all afraid to say that I'm going through hell right now. Be honest. Father, I'm going through hell. Because <laughs> I promise you, before you even uttered the words, he heard you groan within. And he already found the solution. I went way over time. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you. And I don't know if anyone else feels overwhelmed this morning. I'm going to pray for all of you in just a second. I don't know if anyone else feels overwhelmed. But my prayer for all of us this morning is this. If you do feel overwhelmed. All right. Cry out to the Lord. Be honest with the Lord. Tell him how you really feel. And like David, anything that you might have lost in the past, may you not just get it back, but may you get back the spoils that they themselves conquered as well. 
the devil will have to give you back more than what he took. And the promise from Jesus in Psalm is this. I will restore what I didn't steal in the first place. What I didn't take, I'll give you back more. Restoration is 120% over. So Heavenly Father, this morning, we thank you right now for every, I thank you right now for everyone that's in here. Father, I thank you that anyone who might feel stressed, anyone who might feel overwhelmed with the worries and cares of life, anyone who might be struggling trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, right now, Father, I release your love over everyone in here. A fresh revelation of your love over everyone in here. And Father, I thank you that your peace that passes understanding will rest on everyone in here. Father, I thank you right now. Whatever you've put on our plates, it's always because you give us more than what we can handle so that we have to trust in you more. And Father, at the same time, I ask that you would not take anything off our plate that you have given us, but everything that we've tried to bring into our hands that you did not put, Father, by your grace, may you begin to remove that out of our life. Every person that we've added that's not good for us, we have added, not you, that we have brought into our life. Father, may you begin to make them uncomfortable and remove them out of our life. And Father, by your grace, may you continue to bring in people who will speak life into us, people who will build us up. And Father, I ask for everyone in here that you would begin to remind all of us, myself included, all of us to continue to strengthen ourselves in you, to continue to sing to you, to continue to remind ourselves all that you've done and all that you will do. So Father, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've done. And I thank you, Father, that in this time and in this season, you're bringing all of us into a new place a new place of rest, a new place of restoration, a new place of favor. And we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you stand to your feet and lift your hands? Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.